I find it extremely um, intriguing as the um, as the winter. Hey, Caleb, Kasha, how's it? As the uh, winter develops from a uh, a person who's lived his whole life in the southern hemisphere in warm sunny weather, I just find it interesting to see how people are super excited about the winter. I find it hard to wrap my head around it. And this week I saw some posts that people put in. And, and one, of, one of them, for example, was this. A snowball in the face is surely the perfect beginning to a lasting friendship. I hear that quote and I'm like, no, it's extremely cold. It burns my hand just to try and make a snowball. And if you hit in the face with it, it's pretty painful. And it just painted the picture for me that people who live in the northern hemisphere, they're like, sorry, y'all, let's go play in the snow. I'm like, no, I want to go to the beach. Um, somebody said, I like the cold weather. It means you get work done. I don't know how you've been feeling the last month. I can get nothing done. I just want to hide away under a blanket in a little cupboard or something. I, I don't want to be in the cold. I can't get anything um, done when it's this cold. I agree with this quote. Cold weather turns even the most mundane tasks into Olympic level challenges. You know exactly what I'm... Do you know what I'm talking about? Or is it just Southern Hemisphere people living in the Northern Hemisphere? I realized this week that my calendar says that the 22nd of December is the start of winter. And here I thought we've been in it for two months already. <laughs> I don't know how to wrap my head around that. And a passage of scripture has been on my mind, and I actually closed off last week's rally with this passage of scripture, and, and combining the two that, you know, the, the winter is coming, and, and linking that up with this text that I dealt with last week, and you, you, if you've heard me talk, you'd know that this particular verse has really struck me. I thought, let me combine the two ideas, the concept that the winter is starting in two, uh, three weeks' time. Uh, what is the date? I don't even know. What is it? A month's time? And, and with the scripture that I'm um, going to deal with, I'm going to start a series of lessons entitled Winter is Coming. And um, I think that it, we are scarce. We are re- very sparse this morning because a lot of people are sick. Um, and, and that's a sign usually that winter has come. I've been struggling with this thing for two weeks got this post-nasal drip, and it just doesn't want to die. I think I've gone through like three or four bags of, um, what do you guys call these? Cough drops. It's quite a cool cough drops because my throat is killing me. So this series will be entitled Winter is Coming. Um, and let me introduce you to the text. And I'm just going to introduce the topic to us this morning. And in the upcoming weeks, we'll deal with that. Matthew chapter 23 is known for the rebuke that Jesus gives the Pharisees at the temple, it seems to be somewhere close to the temple, the temple courts. He tells them that they are brood of vipers. The seven woes, he cries out upon them. They are basically the hypocrites of the earth. He was, Jesus was rebuking the preachers of his day. Chapter 24 is known for Jesus talking about the end of time, the end of the world. The end of life on earth as, as we know it. But in between the two, like sort of the first eight chapters, Jesus seems to be walking away from um, the temple area. And his disciples say to him, hey man, look at this beautiful temple. And Jesus turns around and he says, well, look at these stones. Not one of them will be left on top of one another. 
A little bit later on, Jesus is busy um, preaching. I think it's on the Mount of Olives. And he is uh, talking to a bunch of crowd of people. And the disciples sort of call him aside. And they say to him, hey, Jesus, tell us, when is this going to happen? This destruction of the temple and the end of the world, the end of the age. When is this going to happen? And then Jesus starts explaining to them at least four things, four signs that will take place uh, nearing the end of the world. He says there will be incredible deception. There will be people coming and arriving, claiming that, that it's, it's me, that, I'm, that the Messiah has returned. Number two, there will be wars, and there will be rumors of wars. Number three, there will be famines, and there will be earthquakes. And he says that this will be the beginning of birth pains. And I want you to imagine that in your mind, birth pains, and the, the wonderful ladies here who's given birth to, to kids, you will know what this is about. We call it a contraction. Do you remember the, the contractions, mamas? You remember that? It's like it starts and it's like maybe twin, uh, two hours apart. There's a contraction. And then suddenly it's an hour. And then it moves closer. And then it gets into minutes. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is he says we need to look at the world. When we hear more and more rumors of wars, and there are more wars more frequently, and earthquakes more frequently, and people without food across the globe more frequently, then you know it's getting closer to the time that Jesus is going to come back. As soon as the birth pains start becoming visible and more painful, Jesus says, the following will happen around about that time. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and to be put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Now, you can see what, what I'm going to zoom in on, right? Winter is coming. There's going to come a time in our experience as a human race where the love of people will grow cold. It means that they will wax cold, some translation says. There will be a waning love. People will love less. And it's interesting that this word only appears once in the whole Bible, sucho. And it means the reduction of temperature by evaporation. It happens when a cold wind. I went hunting last week and the week before that and the week before that and the week before that. And the most Despicable thing about hunting in the northern hemisphere is the cold wind and the ice you walk on. You're two hours out there and you start wanting to freeze. It feels like your heart, heart is going to stop operating. That's sort of the idea here. There's a cold wind that comes from outside and eventually it gets through to your bones and it makes you cold on the inside. What Jesus is saying is that wickedness around us will be the cold, chilling wind that will expel love from our, from our hearts. And Jesus is saying, it will be winter before the fire. And the fire is the ultimate judgment when God will take down the human race, which is going to happen. So, winter, in many ways, is coming. Like even for us, winter is coming on the 22nd of December. But for many of us, it's already here. For me, it's been here for... Three months already. But winter is coming spiritually. And much of that winter is already here. 
And you can see it in the way that people love each other. Already in 2003, the Black Eyed Peas wrote a song entitled, Where is the Love? I wanted to read you the lyrics, but nowadays I've been preaching for like, feels like an hour. I said, okay, I'm not going to add more time to it. But you read the words. In 2003, yes, pop artists looking at the world and asking the question, where is the love? So let me make a few observations. And there's a few things I'm going to say today that's going to be maybe sensitive and it's really going to be heart to heart. Okay, but you, you know how it goes. Okay, let me make a few observations. As wickedness increases, love decreases. That's sort of what Jesus is saying. The more wicked we become as a, as a people, the more love will decrease. Because wickedness produces people with a cold love. And cold love is the opposite of warm, affectionate, familial love. Yes, two verses, beautiful verses. Um, Genesis 43, verse 30, when Joseph's brothers come and visit him, the text says this, then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Let's be honest this morning. When last did you cry because you loved somebody so deeply? When last have you cried because you felt such a warm love for another human being. I'm not talking about your wife or your kid. For another human being. Hosea 11 verse 8. God says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboam? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And so when Jesus says it's going to get cold, he's talking about the heart. He says, there's not going to be people like this around. So when a person has become cold in his love towards others, we could say he doesn't care. He doesn't care about people. As simple as that. He's not interested in people. Ask yourself, where do you fit on this thing? Do you care about people? Avoids people. A cold person avoids others. He does not actively seek to help people. He doesn't care what people are struggling with. He doesn't greet. He doesn't smile. He's not kind in the traffic. He's cold. He doesn't. You know what? He can stay in his house and the whole world could burn down and he wouldn't care. Because he's cold. He doesn't care about people. He does not feel any type of affection towards people in general. And I ask the question, how can you end up like that? How do you become so cold? I'll be, I had a conversation with somebody a few weeks ago, months ago, I can't even remember. A Christian. And we were sitting and we are talking about, I was trying to ask him, hey man, why don't you spend time with people? He's lonely. He's depressed. I said, well, why don't you just pick up the phone, phone somebody and go visit? Because there's a lot of lonely and depressed people around. You know what he said to me? I don't like people. I don't like them. I don't want to be close to them. I don't trust people. And you know what I did immediately? Typical preacher. I started preaching at him. Hey, bro. How can you not love people? You're a Christian. And I was very judgmental on him. Honestly, I was. I was like, how could you be like that? How can you not love people and trust him? And it, it was sort of a fallout and he left and he was angry with me. 
And I went through a few, few weeks of thinking about this experience because I've seen that a lot, especially since I've been here. People just don't like other people. And I've been trying to figure it out. What is it? And I think we have a sort of a solution in this text. And that's what I'm going to deal with this morning. Long story short, a few months later, I went back to him. I said, man, you know what? I'm sorry if I really um, you know, came down hard on you. I, I didn't mean to do that. I actually understand why you feel that way. I understand. And he said to me, you know, but it was good for me to hear what you had to say. But he also accepted the apology. And so this is really in touch with us. Like, really, if you're sitting here this morning... And you couldn't care at two cents about most people in this town. This lesson is for you. It's for all of us. And if you do feel that way, I'm not going to judge you this morning. I want us to reveal what Jesus is saying that leads us there. How do we end up feeling this way towards people? Well, we don't care about them. We'd rather avoid them and have nothing to do with them. How do we end up there? We'll talk about that. So I think it's pretty easy for Christians to end up cold towards others. Because the more wicked people are, the more unpleasant they are. Isn't it true? The more wicked they are, the more unpleasant they are, and the less you want to associate with them. The less you want to be around them. The less you want to do any good to them, because they literally do not deserve it. The most difficult thing in this world to love is a human. I'm telling you today, ladies and gentlemen, and you, you, you would agree with me. It's easier to love a chicken with no personality. It's easier to love a lamppost next to the road that's just standing there day and night, giving a little bit of light at night. It's easier to love that thing than to love a human. Why? Because a human is the only, only thing capable on planet Earth to be evil and to do evil. And that's what we struggle with because we see the evil in humans. Look how rude and unkind and aggressive you are. I don't want anything to do with you. A lamp pole doesn't do that and a chicken either. Okay, I was chased by a chicken when I was a kid and it, it really beat me up. They think and kick. Eh? Have you seen a chicken kick? So, okay, we will add some, some evil to a chicken. But he doesn't even think about the fact that he's evil. But a human knows he's evil. And he knows he's got hatred in him. And he knows he's angry. And he knows that he's aggressive. And he takes it out on us. The text tells us what the world looks like and what the people are like that is wicked. First of all, I'll give you a few things. First of all, hatred for truth. If you link verse 9 to 11, go read the text again in your, your own time. The text says that people will hate the disciples of Jesus because of who? Because of Jesus. And it says that there will be false prophets teaching deception. Now, Question, why did people hate Jesus and why does people hate Jesus today? Because he speaks the truth. That's the real reason. The, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Jesus is talking because I hate, because I testify that its works are evil. The world doesn't want to hear the truth that comes from Christ. Okay, So you can imagine this world where people hate Jesus and they get teachers to teach false things. Because they want to avoid and push Jesus out of the way. All right, let's go. Um, a second thing. Offended by the faith. Verse 10 says, it uses the word actually skandalizo. I'm going to read you the NIV. The NIV says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith. The King James Version says, and then shall many be offended. And that word offended is skandalizo. In other words, the truth that comes from Christianity is going to offend the world. 
People are going to find it offended. Everybody's going to be offended. Whoa, that's interesting, right? Because it's so easy to offend people in our time and age, isn't it? It's really easy to offend people. That makes my job very hard. Every week I'm a mouthpiece for him and I have offended people. So I think together th these, these two translations give us a good explanation of what it is going to be like when the, when, when the world is so wicked it produces cold people. There's another one, betrayal of one another. Verse 10, there will be disloyalty, backstabbing, hypocrisy like Judas. Betrayal is the sense of being harmed by the intentional actions or omissions of a trusted person. And here's a key thing. Somebody once said it to me here as well in, in the state. He said to me, well, I don't trust you. Let's be honest quickly. How many people do you trust? Do you trust random people in this town? And then you juxtapose that with 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love always what? Trusts. But people have become untrustworthy. Well, well, then they're not trustworthy. Now, so there's going to be betrayal. And then thirdly, there's going to be hatred towards each other. The word hatred reveals to us what type of people these are. They walk in darkness. They do not know God. Their goal is to hate. Their emotion is anger, not compassion. Their de demeanor is rudeness, not kindness. Okay, so those are four things Jesus points out. Let's move on. Now let's make sense of this. Isn't it understandable that if we are treated this way by people, that we will naturally avoid them and not want to be warm towards them? Doesn't make sense. Are you going to be like, oh, I love you so much, you, you, you betrayed me yesterday. Now I, I, I care about, I want to be close to you. Oh, you stabbed me in the back. Oh, it's great. Oh, I love you. I want to be around you. Do you understand? Does it make sense why? The world is becoming more and more difficult to love when it becomes more and more wicked. How do you feel about someone who betrays your trust, stabs you in the back, speaks to you with hate, gives you a cold shoulder, looks angry, never smiles, and when engaged in conversation cannot be friendly, is always out to get you, to sue you, and make money off of you. And is opposed to Jesus and what he stands for. It's understandable. Why? Wickedness decreases our love for each other. Wickedness hurts people and hurt people retract. And that was the conversation that ended off with this brother of mine who was struggling to love people. And look, I'm not justifying and saying it's good that we don't love people. I'm just saying there's a temptation for us to grow cold in our love towards people because of their wickedness. And I, I'm, I'm glad I experienced this with my, my friend, because now I understand more why he is where he is, and I think it's important for us to deal with, because he has fallen into the temptation of growing cold towards people. All right, let's move on. A cold society creates cold people over time. The text says, the love of most will grow cold. In other words, not everybody will grow cold. Some people will stand firm to the end, the text says. They will not succumb to the temptation of becoming cold. Now, here's a, here's a truth that I have acutely become aware of. It is so difficult to live in a society and not become like it. I'll give you a few examples of myself. And look, be honest with you, the, the examples I use now, this is not critical of American society. It's just to illustrate the point. When, where we come from, 
in South Africa in our Afrikaner culture, when you have a kid sitting in, a, in an area where there are adults and there's not enough seat, the, the kid gets up and makes space for the adult to sit. When there's adults having a conversation and a kid comes into the conversation, he, um, he has to greet all the adults. Yesterday, we um, were in Lowell, and we met a lady from South Africa. She came to visit. Lowell, sorry. This lady from South Africa, and she's like, maybe, it's so bad to say this, but by the looks of it, 20 years older than me. I hope she is. But we have a culture in South Africa where if somebody is 10 years older than you, you don't call them by their first name. That's disrespectful. There's an extreme respect relationship between the young and, and the old. So at least 10 years, and then you, 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 would, you would call them uncle or auntie in Afrikaans. So here she is, and I know she's been in America for like 30 years. Like for her, this is going to be weird, but I couldn't. I, I said, auntie, nice to meet you. I, I, I don't even know what her name is. I don't want to know what her name is because in me, I cannot call her by her name. I don't know why it is. It's a cultural thing built into me, right? If you go to a, a, a meeting and there's a bunch of people in South Africa, the, the respectful thing that everybody does, you take off your hat and you go greet each person by hand and you look them in the eye and you say, good morning, good morning, good day. Nice to see you. So I go here to, the, there's like a preacher thing where the pastors in town get together and I'll go occasionally to that and guess what Michiel does when he walks in I walk up take off my hat and I go shake everybody's hand so the first guy looks at me funny shakes my hand the second guy he doesn't even shake he doesn't do nothing he just sits like this like what does this guy want he's gonna shake my hand the other guy's like you have an elbow one guy gives me a fist pump the other three they just look at you funny and I was like yeah what are these people are rude no they're not it's the norm. It's the way things are. Cultures are just different. Things do different. I just got to accept that. Right? Now, guess what happens when I go to the preacher's uh, thing? I just walk in and go sit down. And everybody's happy. What has happened? I have been influenced by the culture. And I have submitted to it. This is the power of social interactions between humans. Sheep follow sheep. Right? It's the way that society is. And the same temptation will grow into us. When we are surrounded by people who are cold, guess what we're going to do? We're going to want to become cold. Oh, nobody greets when you go to Safeway? Well, I'm not going to greet. Nobody smiles when they're in Walmart? Chili? Okay, I'm not going to smile anymore. We rub off on each other. That's a temptation to become like everybody else. So, we rub off on each other. And I think the, the Bible actually speaks about this, gives us examples, Proverbs 13, 20, walk with the wise and become wise. The people you associate with will have an influence on you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be misled. Um, bad company corrupts good character. So if people influence us in that way, we need to be aware of this weakness and find a way to make sure that we don't become like it. That's the difficulty. And a lot of us are falling for the temptation. I am too. I am really too. And this is the heart of the issue. This is really what this series is going to be about. This is what it's about. In a wicked world that spreads coldness, how do we insulate ourselves 
without isolating ourselves? How do we, how do we stay warm, but at the same time protect ourselves? How do we love people that are abusive towards us? How do we love people and care about people when they're rude to us? How do we keep doing that? How do we stay warm in a world that is getting darker and colder? And I'm going to present some, some thoughts on that, but let me give you just a free answer for today. Just, this one is free. It's on the house. Focus on Jesus, not people, when you set the temperature of your love. When you decide how warm you're going to be, don't do it based on what people are like, because that's essentially what it's about. How can we love these people? Look at the way that they are. How can we feel warm toward them? Well, don't look at them. Don't look at what they do. Look at Jesus. And take your cue from Him. I'm going to love. I don't care what you look like, what you do to me. I'm not even going to look at you. I'm just going to love you. Stay warm and look at you. I'm going to look at Jesus. Not look at them. Ignore what people do, who they are. Ignore how they hate. Ignore how they hurt and what they say. Ignore their sneers and their jeers, their distrust, their betrayal, their discard of truth. Ignore it. And just love them because of what Jesus did. Love them because they don't deserve it. That is grace. And when you do that, God purifies your heart and He gives you joy because you have decided to love them despite their wickedness. That is what will keep you warm. At least one thing that will keep you warm. All right. Now. Got a little bit of time left. Don't fall asleep yet. There's a, a third point, which is a very sensitive point. And I hope that God will enable me and allow me to explain this clearly because I think it's important. And I'm not perfect as I try to explain this, so I, I might, might make mistakes, hopefully not. And it's this last point that I have. Lawlessness is the ultimate enemy of humanity. There's something that I have uh, struggled to understand. I have struggled to understand since I've been in the States how Christians can support and undergird things like abortion, same-sex uh, sexuality, the LGBTQ stuff. I've been trying to understand how Christians can support that, trying to wrap my head around it, because I know good people. Good people, good people that would give their lives for Christ who support that. And I've been struggling to wrap my head around it. You know, struggling to understand how Christians would support something that is in a clear violation to the Bible, what the Bible says. Another example would be, for example, Christians who say, well, we just need to, um, people don't have to work. That's not a big issue. Let's just give freely to them, take care of the poor. Um, and I include the um, people who are just lazy. I'm not talking about taking care of people who are disabled and things like that, but people who are just lazy. When the Bible clearly says, he who does not work must not eat. Like, how do you support something that is in direct violation of what the Bible says? How do you, how do you give grace, but accountability is nowhere? Yeah, like, we don't hold people accountable, we just give grace the whole day. How do we make sense of that? And 
And I'll be honest with you, I think I've got an understanding. God has allowed me to have an understanding of this, which I'm thankful for because I think people really get mixed up in the wrong ideas when it comes to this. I did not previously give you a detailed definition of what wickedness is in the passage. But wickedness, the word wickedness is anomia, which literally means lawlessness. Lawlessness. That means being without law, being ignorant of the law, violating the law, being in contempt of the law. And when I say law, which law do you think I'm referring to? The law of God. Not the law of the nation or the law of the country. The law of God. God's laws. And I'm not referring to the law of Moses. I'm referring to the law of God built into nature. Built into this world. The moral law of God that has been written in our hearts. The law that says it's wrong to steal. It's wrong to kill. All cultures across the world know murder is wrong. Lying is wrong. Adultery is wrong. The whole world knows that. Why? Because it's built into our hearts. It doesn't matter which culture, which religion we know in our hearts. This is the law of God. Now we have the Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God reveals to us more in a more detailed way what God's law is. His laws are. So essentially, when the text says that the increase of wickedness will produce cold people, he's saying the more people ignore God's law, the more the love of people will grow cold. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? All right, great, okay. So we're talking about the laws of Jesus Christ, the laws put in place by God, the moral laws of God embedded in creation. Now let's unpack this slowly and deeply. And I hope, I hope this isn't boring for you, but I want to get this out there. Let's make a few observations. Lawlessness is deep hostility to authority, to God's authority. That's what lawlessness is. You don't want to do what God says, as simple as it is. And that's the root of the whole problem. What happens when people don't submit to God's authority? If they don't submit to God's authority, then whose authority do they submit to? If you say, well, I'm not going to obey God's law. Okay, well, whose law are you following then? You're following no one's law. You're following your own authority. You're becoming your own God. You decide yourself what is true and what is not true. And that is exactly the problem. My truth is my truth. There isn't the truth, God's law, God's truth, the one who created it all. There isn't such a thing. I make up my own truth, my own laws. And that's unfortunately a sad product of freedom. That's the struggle in America, I think. It's like everybody's free. You can be what you want, and, and, and essentially that is like a good principle, right? But there's a problem, because the moment you say to people you can be what you want, you're saying you can be your own God, and you can decide what's true and right. You can be your own authority. That's a problem. Let's talk about it for a moment. If everyone makes up their own rules by their own authority, what do you think will happen? Can you imagine? Well, you don't have to imagine. You could just look around. Let's ask another question, those of you who've watched football, right? Football. Let's say everybody on the football field, okay? We, they arrive for a match, a game, game day. And everybody decides, okay, today we, the referee will be on the field, but he doesn't matter. You make up your law, I make up my laws of the game, and we just play it. 
what would that look like? It would be a mess. God created this planet. He's the ruler of the universe. He's the one that embedded the rules that he has put in place for the best of humanity. And the moment that we become lawlessness, we reject his law and his, and his principles, the earth becomes a mess and becomes unbearable for everybody. And we start developing cold hearts. Now, here's, here's the critical. I hope you, you get where I'm going with this. Now, here's the critical point. Satan has managed to level people's hearts against God's law. What is the one thing that people will trust more than God's law? My heart. And Satan knows our hearts are powerful. And that we would rather listen to our hearts than God's law. So he juxtaposes our hearts with God's law. Here's a powerful, powerful text. And this is nothing new. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, I'm going to explain it in a moment's time very clearly. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Jeremiah 23, 16 to 18. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to, to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you and to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart. They say, no disaster shall come upon you, for who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? This is exactly what happened in Jeremiah's days. People were following their hearts instead of God's word. That's the challenge. That's the difficulty for Christians too. Because it's easy to follow your heart instead of God's word. Now, do you see the problem here? Follow what your heart says or follow what God says. He uses our hearts, our feelings, our compassion to oppose what God says. That's exactly what's happening. When people follow their hearts instead of God's law, society becomes a mess. Why? Why could it be wrong to follow my heart? Because the same prophet Jeremiah says in chapter 17 verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? This is the problem in our country. This is the problem in our world. The moment you say to a human, follow your heart, it becomes a mess. Because they don't even understand their own hearts. As I stand in front of you today, I, I can't even judge my own heart. How do I know that I can trust my heart? This is one of the biggest things when I sit down with people and we talk about life and I can see their lives are a mess. I ask them, do you trust your brain? Your brain's only 23 years old. Do you trust it? What can you trust more than your brain? God's word. It's the only thing. You cannot trust even your own heart. When it comes to morality, to what is right and what is wrong, you cannot consult your heart. And this is the key problem in America. This is why you have, and I, and I feel sorry for the Christians who's trying to be progressive. Because they've got a battle with this thing. Because it's a battle between the heart and the law of God. It's a battle between truth and your own feelings. That's difficult. And sometimes it gets so murky that you don't know where to go. And you don't know how to. And that's why it's easy for fundamentalists. The fundamentalist is like, hey man, this is pretty easy. It's wrong. Kick it out. Because he's cut his heart out. You see both sides. 
They've got reasons why they think the way they think. When it comes to morality, to what's right and wrong, what do you have got to do? You have to consult God's truth. His word. Because in many instances, your heart will oppose what God says. Many, many Christians have fallen into this trap. We need to affirm their gender confusion. We need to affirm that. Shame. You know, that poor person. We need to love them. Compassion. We need to be inclusive. We need to, we need to love this person that's gender, gender confused. Even though God says he created male and female. How, how do we do both? How do we stick to God's truth and still remain compassionate? It's possible. And Christians fall into this trap. Do you know why they fall into this trap? Because God is a God of love. Of course, he would agree with my heart. And he will always choose love and compassion. As if God is not a God of truth. As if God is not a God of judgment. As if God is not a God of accountability. He is. The concept that Satan sneaks into our current societal thinking is this. Compassion is superior to truth. That is a sneaky lie that Satan uses to introduce lawlessness into our world. And that's why Christians, this is why Christians support things that oppose God's law. It's the idea that what you feel in your heart is truer than what God says in his word. For example, God is a God of love. Therefore, it doesn't matter if two men have sexual relationships with each other. It doesn't matter if they love each other. That's what, we need to support that. And if anything is in love, we need to support that. God's law, God's moral law, built into nature, is set aside for the sake of compassion and love. And what's the end result? Disobedience to God's law is celebrated in the name of love and compassion based on feelings, the thoughts of the heart, not the word of God. And two men end up living a substandard life with no ability to produce children, increased chances of suicide, unnatural sexuality, with increased risks of diseases coming with it, a strong identity crisis, and separation from the God who created them. Your heart and its compassion has just sent two people to hell by endorsing their desires instead of God's law. That is not love. That is not love. That's not true love. True love is compassion with truth. It's not compassion without truth. True love is compassion with truth. Compassion doesn't get people in heaven. Truth does. Because you care, you speak the truth. Like Jesus did. When the woman that was caught in the act of adultery, what did Jesus say to her? You're forgiven. Now go leave your life of sin. Compassion with truth. I love you. I care for you. Now leave your life of sin. They go together. And what's being promoted in our world today is this. You are forgiven. And it doesn't matter what you've done and what you're going to do. Just love you. That's not love. That's destruction. That's not accountability. That's destruction. And Satan is a master at this. You want to see this at play in the New Testament? 
very clearly. There's only one guy in the New Testament. We could include Peter maybe slightly. One guy that the Bible says clearly Satan entered into him. Do you know who it was? Judas. Do you remember what Judas did? When that woman came and threw the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, what did he do? Oh, shame but the poor. Satan uses compassion. And he uses that weakness in us to make us think this is God. It was Satan. But what about the poor? This, this perfume could have been sold and the, the money could have given to the poor and they would have been taken care of. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, what about me? I am the way, the truth, and the life. In that situation, Jesus says, you'll always have the poor, but she's embalming me for my burial. Jesus is the truth. And through this, he's teaching us the truth that we've got to be very careful to separate our compassion and our love from truth. The moment you separate the two, you end up with the problem that we have in our world today. Let me reel this in and bring it back home. We must be careful of approving that which God disapproves of, even if it wages war in our hearts. The only objective moral standard of truth that we have access to is God's word, Jesus Christ. We must be careful of falling for Satan's deception that elevates compassion and grace over truth. Here's why. Because John chapter 1 verse 14, John says so clearly, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. They must go together. When we make decisions, who we vote for and which principles we stand for, we have to include both grace and truth. When we promote grace despite truth, we become promoters of lawlessness under the guise of love. And we are not making the world a better place by voting for and agreeing with lawless things. We're making the world worse. And lawlessness leads to lovelessness, and lovelessness brings God's wrath. If you really love someone, lead them to submission of God's authority, not their own hearts or their own flesh. The worst thing that you can say to another human being is this, follow your heart. That's the worst thing you can say to somebody, because you're saying your heart is trustworthy. I don't even trust my own heart. You just said to that person, follow the most deceiving thing on planet earth. That's what Jeremiah said. It's deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? So, let me conclude. People are cold. And it will get worse. And we will come to a point where we will have to make a decision. Feel the pain or refuse the pain. Let me explain. What do I mean by refusing the pain? It means if you decide, hey, I, wanna, I don't like this feeling that people show towards me. You know what it feels like when somebody's, you know what it feels like when somebody's rude towards you? When somebody shouts at you? When somebody's aggressive towards you? You know what that feels like? It, it's painful. Is there something uncomfortable about it? Now, you could say, I refuse to take that beating. I refuse that. What are you going to do? You're going to retreat. You're going to move away from people. You don't want to associate with them. So that's, you, could, you could choose option one is to refuse the pain and say, I'm not going to put myself in a position where people can hurt me. <clears throat> you have submitted 
If you do that, you've submitted to the status quo because you don't trust people and you're not willing to, be, to, to risk being hurt by them. I have news for you. If that's the position you take, Satan has won in your life. He's managed to push you away from others. He's managed to make you inward focused onto your own, your own insecurities. Your love has grown cold. Society has won. It's filtered into you. And the devil is smiling. Gotcha. A cold world has made you cold. Great. Good job, guys. I want to challenge you to feel the pain. And that means that you have decided to be warm to people who don't deserve it. To smile at the guy who hates you. To shake the hand of the guy who doesn't want to be close to you. That's painful. But do it. Don't let him make you cold. You have decided to put yourself out there even if nobody responds or reciprocates. That's what you do. You feel the pain. You make the sacrifice. And it hurts when people don't love back. And as the world gets colder, it becomes much harder for Christians. Why, does it, why is this such a difficult thing for Christians? Because we're the only religion in the world where it's, everything is about love. We are people of love. We are people of the cross. And people who love and who've been called by a God who loves, it hurts us the most when people don't love us. Because we live in it. It's uncomfortable for us. Every time you love someone warmly and they reject you and they sneer at you and they betray you, a sacrifice is lit to the God of heaven. It's a sacrifice you're making. It's a sacrifice to feel the pain when somebody hates you. God knows what it feels like. Jesus does. I encourage you. Don't stop loving warmly. We have four upcoming lessons where we'll unpack this a little bit further. I know it was intense today, but it's going to get easier than that. If you want to make sure that you are insulated, that you don't become cold based on the world, come for the following lessons, and I think there'll be some practical advice on how we can do that. Let's stand. Let me sing the closing song.